Welcome to the Dissertation Dive. This is a special podcast series where we dive into the dissertations of scholars who completed their doctoral degrees in the past several years. As you know, the, the dissertation is the culminating experience of a doctoral journey and includes independent scholarship that is significant to our field. So I thought it would be a great idea to dive into some outstanding dissertations. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Sophie Waller, the author of the dissertation titled An Analysis of Pedagogical Practices in Online Physical Education. Dr. Waller, thank you for joining me on the dissertation dive. Yeah, thank you for having me, Michael. Um, it's a pleasure to be asked and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Of course, the conversation won't be possible without finishing the dissertation. So I would acknowledge my um, advisor, Dr. Brian McCulloch for his support um, during the process. So just wanted to acknowledge that before we get started. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this as well. And um, we're certainly going to get to your dissertation. But before we um, get to that, what are you up to now in your career? Yeah, so um, currently I'm working at the University of Georgia um, in the Department of Kinesiology. So officially my title is um, a limited term assistant professor um, within the health and physical education program. So obviously this is more of a teaching focused position. Um, where I teach courses such as um, methods of fitness, um, physical education for middle and secondary schools, um, coaching and coach education, as well as um, supervising some of our great student teachers. Well, yeah, it's a sounds like a great job to start out with, and certainly enough to keep you busy. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about more about your background and how did you end up pursuing a doctoral degree in physical education? Yeah, so I think it's safe to say, like, when I was growing up, I was very sporty. Um, so I always knew that probably the sports um, was the area that I was going to go to. Um, and then I was really grateful that I had a great physical education experience um, throughout my childhood. And I had some really good PE teachers um, that I looked up to um, and that were role models. So PE and, and teaching was always um, an area that I was really interested in. Then um, in 2012, I was lucky enough to get a soccer scholarship over to the US um, from England. So I went to Catawba College, which is a small private D2 school um, in North Carolina. And I did my undergraduate degree in health and PE while I was there. So, you know, I was doing the coursework, um, participating in the practicums, did my student teaching um, in North Carolina. Um, and it was a really different experience to what I had experienced um, just as a student um, in England going through PE classes from kind of the structure of PE, um, the curriculum, the expectations, um, to a certain extent as well, how marginalized um, the PE, like PE was over in the US compared to the UK. Like it was a lot more different um, than I thought it was was going to be. So once I graduated from Catawba, I didn't necessarily feel ready to go out and teach just yet. And um, I was just wanting to learn a little bit more and and potentially go to a little bit of a bigger school where there were more resources, um, more professors to learn from. So that's how I ended up at the University of Georgia to do my master's degree first um, in sports pedagogy. So that's where I you know, took classes with um, Dr. Brian McCulloch and under Dr. Paul Shemp um, is another professor that I was lucky enough to study under. And um, I really enjoyed the courses that I took um, 
with them and they really pushed me to be um, a better teacher and I learned more about you know evidence evidence based teaching and listening to feedback and and all um, those types of things and I just really enjoyed that all, that whole experience and during my master's I was lucky enough to get an assistantship where I taught the um, one credit PE classes at UGA um, so I was kind of teaching college students you know volleyball soccer group fitness um, had all of those different experiences and I was in enjoying the teaching side of things as well as um, the research with my master's thesis um, so yeah I just really like the higher education atmosphere um, where students were a little bit older they were figuring out their career paths and they knew a little bit more the um, route that they wanted to take in life and I had lucky enough to be a TA for some of our um, HPE undergrad courses um, and I liked supervising and, and helping those who wanted to be PE teachers like be creative, um, improve their teaching, think through things a little bit more. Um, so that's when I kind of knew that in order to be able to do that, I obviously needed to, to get a PhD. Um, so that's kind of how I wanted to pursue um, the PhD um, in PE. Um, and yeah, so it was more for the teaching side of things, to be honest. But then, of course, I was just as much enjoying the the kind of the research and everything else um, that was coming alongside with it. But I would say like my main motivation for pursuing was more to be able to um, be in like a teacher education program and kind of like get the students then before they go out and actually be PE teachers and, and try to impact them in that way. Right. Yeah. So quite an interesting story. I'm, I'm familiar with Catawba College. I'm from North Carolina and went to a college in that um, the same conference as Catawba. Um, so I can totally relate to going from the small college to the big university and the benefits that that it has. And it sounds like it's worked out well for you there. Mm -hmm. um, so after you you know kind of continued into the doctoral program at Georgia. Um, I'm sure you, you know, continue to engage in some coursework and eventually had to think about a dissertation. Um, what were some of the things that influenced the selection of your dissertation topic? Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, I did my master's thesis and that was actually in, um, the barriers to implementing technology in a face-to-face. -face, so in just the traditional PE, um, teaching. So that was what I originally looked at, um, and I was always really interested in technology. I felt like during my time in college, technology was continuing to grow um, from social media to, you know, iPads being one-to-one -one in the K through 12 schools. And there was just more technology um, that was, was coming about. And there was some teachers that hadn't grown up with that. And that was a big challenge for them. Whereas there was those younger teachers that were coming through and, and they were more tech savvy. So and along with that, our students were becoming um, tech savvy. When I did my thesis, I think um, the students coming through were labeled like the I generation when I was like reading um, research. So I knew that technology was a topic that was going to continue to grow um, and be quite relevant when it came um, to research and kind of picking an avenue to go down. And Dr. McCulloch as well was great because, you know, technology wasn't necessarily a research line that he was pursuing um, but he still allowed me to to go down um, that route and and support me in that so I did very much appreciate that so yeah while I was doing my master's um, technology in the classroom was what I was first interested in 
And then when I started doing my PhD studies at UJ, um, I started taking a few online courses um, and getting some certificates um, kind of in e-learning design and online instruction. Um, and I just was thinking, I wonder how they do this for PE. Because also we have a uh, an online PE class here at UGA for our college students, but it's very much to do with physical activity and heart rate monitors. And, you know, they have a Fitbit and that gets connected to a course. And it's very different to obviously if you go in K through 12 and it's skills and sports and how to shoot a basketball, how to serve in tennis. So I was really curious um, how like that was, was being done. And I actually came across an article um, it was a scoping review called like online and blended instruction in K through 12 physical education. I think it was written by um, Chad Killian, Christopher Kinder, and then Amelia Mays Woods. Um, and I came across that article and I was just, it just really piqued my interest. Um, they really laid out like what had been done, um, what questions did we still have and like what were some gaps in the literature and, and research that we could do. And yeah, that's kind of how I first got into um, the online PE realm. You could say I was just being a really good student at keeping up to date with the, the PE literature. And then I just happened to come across um, that article, but I always had like technology and, and that interest to begin with. So I thought the online um, was a good one. And then of course we went and we had COVID um, and everything went online. So some people say that I was ahead of the curve, but I wouldn't necessarily say that, but obviously, um, it became a very relevant topic um, after that. Yeah, I was thinking exactly about that. With uh, as you were talking, I was going to ask you that when did how did this line up with the COVID timeline? Because um, it just became such an important conversation. I remember being a part of several webinars and conversations during that time, and um, you know, it the curve kind of caught up to you, so to speak. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I had decided the topic pre-COVID um, and I think it's really interesting and I know there's been conversations out there about this, but what we did during COVID and then what online PE is, those are two very different um, like versions or mode of teaching PE. Obviously, a lot of schools and teachers were forced to do the online mode of delivery and it wasn't set up to be that way. Whereas online PE, when you're looking at the virtual schools, like they have that infrastructure and those resources in place and those teachers are hired to teach in that mode of teaching. Um, so they were two very different, um, even though they were both online and they were both physical education, they look very different. And when you really get down to the nitty grittiness of it. Um, but yeah, so it was a little bit before, but then obviously it became very um, prevalent and relevant, um, relevant after. Yeah. Um, so what about your the dissertation itself, like what was the research questions that you framed your study around? Yeah, I would say, um, so obviously my dissertation looked at kind of the online pedagogical practices of um, PE teachers. So the research questions I really um, looked to answer during that time was just what are those pedagogical practices that these experienced online PE teachers are using? How are they implemented into an online PE class? And then on top of that, why? Like, why are some of those practices used, um, maybe compared to others? So it was really um, delving into more of the delivery of online PE and looking at what really was 
what did that look like from the teacher perspective? How were they teaching it? Um, what were some of those best practices, instructional practices that were being used? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the literature and, you know, that kind of background that always frames a dissertation. And you mentioned the really important article by our colleagues at Illinois. Um, and I also wondered, did you have to look beyond physical education for literature on online learning? And just curious what that was like for you. Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. I had to look beyond that first. It was evident um, that, you know, distance education and online learning was certainly growing. And I think at the beginning within the literature, a lot of it was in higher education. And that was where a lot of the research was. And then it was starting to trickle down to the K through 12. But then, of course, it was more of um, like English language classes, math classes, science. It wasn't looking at online PE. Um, there was a very small literature base um, when it came to online physical education um, and what had been done. But what you were seeing or what I was seeing in the literature was that, you know, online online was growing in K through 12 in the other subjects and PE wasn't necessarily exempt from that either. There was still a growth, whether it wasn't maybe as much in terms of percentages, it was still growing. Um, and I think, you know, the shape of the nation reports, they were starting to report numbers. And in, I think, 2006, they had reported only 12 states had online PE. And then the most recent one in 2016, we were up to 31 states. Um, so you could see like there was a big increase um, and jump in that. And it's also hard to measure who is online there's so many different modes of that that is probably in more than 31 states it's probably in all of them we just don't necessarily have all of that um, data and all of that evidence so yeah at the beginning there was like a really small base um, to choose from and what had been looked at was very um, like what are some of the course characteristics of an online PE class so was it fitness focused was it nutrition was it wellness um, that was kind of the a lot of what the research was looking into and then also exploring like the perceptions of students so what did students think of online PE or what did those teachers think of online PE as a as a mode of delivery and that's really um what was out there first as well as like you know concerns and um, what were some of the concerns that um some of you know scholars looked at to online PE so lack of physical activity being number one, um, a big focus on the cognitive domain of learning and not really getting that psychomotor was number two. And then obviously number three was assessment and, and feedback. Like, how do you do that if you have a hundred students in your Zoom room um, and you're supposed to be trying to give specific feedback? So those were all of like the, the previous literature that was out there. Um, and then I would say like one, probably like gap or omission that you that I wasn't seeing was like the delivery. So what was that looking like in terms of how was striking with an implement actually being taught in PE or how was dribbling a basketball? Like how were they trying to teach that? What were some of the practices um, that they were using? Because, you know, if you think um, there was some, a lot of literature out there in, in other subjects, but they don't have the um, challenge of motor skill development and trying to, you know, teach movement in an online setting. So that's really how I focus more on the delivery side of things. Um, there were many articles that talked about, we need to know what the best practices are, what the appropriate practices are, 
Um, so yeah, that's how I decided to go, um, that route when it came to my dissertation. Yeah. Um, so what about in terms of your approach to the study design, um, what types of methods did you employ to address the research questions? Yeah, so I decided to do more of a qualitative um, study. Thought that that would help really kind of paint the picture and provide a lot of like in-depth description and detail of some of those pedagogical practices. Um, so I looked at doing more of a case study design, looking at um, a virtual school. So Basically, I looked at only one um, statewide virtual school um, that offered online physical education. Um, I chose that school because it was um, accredited. Um, it was, you know, an exemplary model of what um, online education should be. But more importantly, it provided a comprehensive list of online physical education courses. Because what I started to find was a lot of the virtual schools, most of the courses were just fitness based. So like students were completing logs, turning those in, and they weren't like synchronously meeting like with the teacher and actually learning like a motor skill. So I needed to be able to really look at those pedagogical practices, like how it's being taught. I needed um, a school and teachers that were meeting on Zoom and, and having synchronous lessons and actually teaching um the content so that's how i ended up doing the school that um i was able to study in and ultimately with conversations with them it was surprisingly online um elementary pe teachers that i focused on in my study because those were the um the grade levels and the teachers that were focusing on you know dance kicking dribbling um striking with an implement things such as that all of the skill themes um, they were actually teaching. So that's kind of how I decided on on those um, teachers and then how I collected that data within the case study. Um, I obviously wanted to see what they were doing. So I was able to get video recorded observations of their lessons. So they use Zoom as their platform. So they would record their online um, lessons for me. And they're about 45 minutes long. And then I was obviously able to watch those. Um, I did some interviews. So once I had watched those observations, I then interviewed them in terms of their pedagogical practices and how they taught. And then of course, like document analysis and collecting some of those lesson plans, syllabi, um, other documents that kind of helped me collate all of that data together. So it was a lot of data, a lot of data. Um, by the end, I think I had about 645 minutes of video recorded observation to watch through so yeah it was a it was a big task for the for the data yeah dissertations are hard work it's always interesting hearing <laughs> yes different explanations of the type of data and how much and the different challenges i know with data collection um you know especially with dissertations it's uh it's difficult and sometimes maybe you expect things to go well and they don't or you know, challenges come up and this was even before COVID that this was true, but, uh, in your generation of students, you had that challenge coming up. Um, what was that data collection phase like for you? Did you face any unique challenges? 
Yeah, I would say exactly um, as you were saying that, I was like shaking my head because, yeah, I agree. You think that, you know, the data collection phase is going to be this smooth sailing. You know, on this month, I would have reached out to all my participants and then this month I'll be able to interview them and then this month I'll be able to do this. And unfortunately, it just, it doesn't work that way. And the process does always take a lot longer um, than you think. One of the big challenges that I faced was um, IRB approval and then getting... um, permission from the virtual school was a very catch-22 situation where the IRB wanted approval from the school to approve the IRB, but the school wanted IRB approval to let me work with their teachers. So I was like in this middle ground of like, I need one of you to, to give or like to do something else or to give me another way that I can show to you that I've got the approval um, just to be able to collect the data to begin with. So that delayed me by one month um, as we were going back and forth and trying to work out obviously an appropriate way um, to overcome that challenge. And then once I was in the school, it wasn't a given that all of the teachers were going to participate. You know, I still had to recruit once I got into this virtual school, um, the online PE teachers, you know, they had a choice whether they wanted to participate in the data or not. So then it was obviously trying to recruit them Um, And then one thing I quickly learn about online teaching is that they are always online. So if they're not teaching, right, then they're grading, they're communicating, they're having one-on-one meetings with all of their students and their schedules are so jam-packed. I'm trying to find time just to interview them um, for an hour or two did become really tricky. So again, I had to filter into the summer when they were out of um, their semester to be able to interview them. Um, so yeah, there, there was um, a lot of challenge um, when it came to that um, in terms of, yeah, the data collection. And then of course, I think, and maybe some other PhD students can um, agree with this, when you are collecting the data, you hope that it's good. Like you hope that it's good data um, and that you are answering the research questions, you know, that you've set for yourself. So like once an interview was over, you were like, oh, I'm really proud. You know, I got through that interview. I thought it was good. But then you, you know, you got to transcribe it and then see, did I actually get some useful um, and worthy data from this conversation? So I think that was also a challenge too, was, you know, just being confident when I was collecting my data that it was going um, to help me to answer my questions. Yeah. So you get all of that data in hand and different types of data, um, and you have to make meaning from it. Um, what did that process look for, look like for you? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, it was a lot of data. So I had all those video recorded observations. Um, I had all of the transcripts and then a lot of documents. Um, so I decided to do a thematic analysis for my data. So, you know, I had kind of like this six-step process that you followed to kind of help you really comb through um, your data, become familiar with it. And then identify like, you know, those themes and patterns and, and generate the codes um, from that. It was a very um, long process and it, and it took a long time because it wasn't just me involved in the process. And what I mean by that is like, obviously I was the one that was coding like inductively, deductively, going back and forth between all the different forms of data. But I also wanted to make sure that my themes, you know, made sense and what I was finding in the data was actually there. And it wasn't just me 
forcing that to be there, um, if that makes sense. So, you know, like talking with my advisor, Dr. McCulloch and other faculty here, um, of really explaining to them what I was seeing and whether I was seeing it or I was forcing it to be that way because I just had it in my head that, oh, this needs to be a theme or whatever. So, um, yeah, I would say like the analysis process, um, it did take a long time, but I, um, had a lot of support and help and then, you know, with the literature and I, I had a good conceptual framework that I used as well, um, within my dissertation that kind of helped guide, um, that process as well, um, through the analysis. So what about your results then? Can you summarize the findings or kind of highlight what you think are some of the most important outcomes? Yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll do my best with this one. But yeah, so in terms of findings, um, I had three big themes um, that I found um, within my data. So theme number one was called underscoring the E in PE. So obviously, um, if we're underscoring the E, we're underscoring the education side of physical education. So what I meant by that, or what I was trying to illustrate was that the physical component and the psychomotor and teaching towards that domain was very limited um, within an online PE setting. But what was very um, excelled almost was the educational. So the cognitive side of things, the affective um, side of things. And there was a lot of pedagogical practices that were going into those two domains. Um, and, you know, when talking to the, the online PE teachers, all of them had taught in person and then they had transitioned over to online PE. So they talked a lot about using a lot of stuff that they did in person, transferring it over to the online environment. But they're obviously being barriers and obstacles just with it being online. So they're modifying their practices. So while it wasn't a simple copy and paste, there was a lot of similarities when it came to um those practices that they did, you know, there was still an instant activity at the beginning. It wasn't a physical one, right? Like a warm up to get students up and moving. It was maybe like a survey or a poll, or they had to answer a question in the Zoom chat, but they still had something there to get students um, thinking about the topic that there was going to be that day. Then there was a segment on teaching a skill. Um, you know, they provided a demonstration. There was these slides with GIFs and videos and image breakdowns and skill cues like all of the information um, you would normally just probably say in a traditional setting was kind of laid out um, for the students the students still got time to like practice those skills but obviously each student is individual right they're all in their own houses so those activities that those PE teachers are able to create are just individual so striking an implement for example you can just hit it to yourself they could then, you know, progress to partner work or to group work or a game-like activity. Like there wasn't that opportunity um, to do that. So then, you know, then they would transition into more of like a fitness-based workout because that was something that everybody could do. Students were up and moving um, and then there was a closure. So I think what you saw is that they tried their best to get all of the P and the E, right, from PE, but ultimately it was more... Um, the educational side. Um, so that really is what theme one looks at. And then theme two focus more on um, the minimizing the distance by cultivating connections. That was what theme two was called. Um, and really what I was trying to explain with that one is that 
the PE teachers really had to engage in these purposeful, intentional practices that would build connections with their students. Um, you know, when we see students in a face-to-face -face classroom, even just that physical distance, already you're building a connection. You're seeing each other face-to-face, -face, each other's mannerisms, getting to know each other's personalities. If you're in a PE class, you know, you might high-five a student, fist bump, whatever it may be, but all of those things kind of help build connections with your students. Obviously in the on online class, you can maybe do like a thumbs up emoji um, on Zoom or or something like that. But there wasn't obviously that instant connection that you could build with your students. So what um, I saw in those online PE classes and what the teachers did is they created these activities and had these practices that helped build those connections with their students. So a PE hero of the week, a student spotlight, like there was a ton of different um examples and activities um, that really helped humanize the online experience um, for both the teacher and the student. And then my last theme um, was titled um, navigating the inherent um, constraints and demands of the PE setting. So if we go back to my research question, the third one is why are some of these practices used? Like why do they do it this way? And ultimately they are you know, they're kind of have the obstacle of the force, the four corners of a computer screen. Like there's only so much you can do. Um, it's just like the reality of the situation. I can demonstrate a skill. I can explain it. I can have students practice individually, but that's really my limit. That's all I can do. And then I can only encourage them to go practice with their family or with their friends um, outside of class. So it was kind of talking about that as well as, um, just the, um, you know, the demands of the school. So, you know, online teachers, they're still evaluated, right? They still have expectations that they have to meet um, policies and, and procedures that they need to follow. So a lot of their practices came from that and they still were standards based and they wanted to follow, you know, the curriculum that we do in um, traditional PE. So there was all of those, but I think probably the most interesting area of that theme was the pressure they felt from parents because you are now teaching in the home of every one of your students, yeah. right? So there could be a parent in the room with that student kind of overseeing what was going on, um, listening to how the teacher was explaining something or just teaching their lesson. And these online PE teachers were very aware of that. Um, and, you know, they kind of like, we wanted to add in more movement because we thought, oh, if a parent's thinking they're in a PE class, but they're sitting down the whole time, then that's probably not very good practice. So that area was really interesting too, because obviously you don't get that in a traditional lesson. Um, parents aren't really watching over you as you teach. So that was definitely like an added pressure um, slash kind of demand that was put on these online PE teachers. Wow, that's so interesting because I guess you, you never know who might be observing on the other side of the screen that you're teaching to there. I've never thought about that as that um, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there was some moments where some people, like some students were taking classes at a place of work, like where their parent would work or wasn't always in the home. And yeah, it's definitely an interesting environment that you're teaching in um, when you're in, when you're teaching online, for sure. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned, um, you know, that maybe you had some expectations or preconceived notions and you did some peer debriefing to try to make sure that that did it shape your analysis and so 
um, now that you're on the other side of that, were there things that were surprising or unexpected in your results? Yeah, I do think, um, I think the, the parental side of things, um, and the demands when it came to, to that and the pressures that they felt was very surprising to me, but I think probably the biggest surprise was that I'm not saying it was exactly the same as in person, but I was more surprised with how they really did try and focus on skills and really teach, you know, how to grip something or how to kick a ball or how to dribble a ball and the creativity that these online PE teachers had to have really, um, to just make a lesson that was engaging, um, for students, um, really surprised me. So obviously I watched a lot of their, um, observations and, you know, just the themes that they used from, if it was, um, like a soccer unit, the, the, um, the music was like the world cup music that was used. And then all of the, the PowerPoint presentation would be a, all this one big soccer theme. And, um, it was, it was really impressive because I think when you can, when you show up and obviously you lesson plan in person and, and you definitely plan out your activities and you have all your progressions and you know what you're going to do when it's online, that bit kind of gets taken away from you. So now you have to think, okay, how am I going to engage these students more? What are some other ways that I can pull from because you know they don't really have the issue of management in online one of this one even joked you know she said if I have a student that's acting out or you know being loud I can just mute their microphone we can't mute students in person right so I mean we can say hey listen like you know make sure you're listening to the teacher but when it comes to online they didn't have some of the management side of things, but instead they had um, maybe more of the teaching side of things. And um, one thing I did actually forget to mention is a lot of cross-curricular and cross-curriculum activities were done um, in the online um, education classes for PE. So, you know, some math content was in there as well as learning how to um, sequence a dance or when they would learn a term for maybe... Um, soccer for example like passing or dribbling they would also go over like the phonetics of how to break down that word um, and bring in a little bit of like English language so that was really impressive to see kind of that cross curriculum and how they were still adding a little bit more um, to the online PE experience and how collaborative um, virtual schools are because everyone was on the same page with what the students are learning and how could they bring that um, into their teaching. So yeah, there was a lot of findings and it is difficult, um, to summarize them all, but there was definitely some surprises. Um, uh, yeah, that, that I, that I thought of. Yeah. Well, a very interesting, um, study. I think it'll add to that literature that you were discussing earlier. Um, so now that it's over and you kind of had a chance to reflect back on it, if you had to go back and kind of do this over again, would you do anything differently? So I think like big picture, I wouldn't change the topic or the questions. I really thought that was like relevant. Um, and it is a really interesting, it's a great um, topic of conversation to have with other um, colleagues and scholars and teachers in the field, because it's such a kind of left field experience when you think of online PE. And some people think too that because I research it, I agree with it, or like, I think it should be like, we should have PE online, but I wasn't analyzing it, whether it was good or bad. I was just trying to see what were they doing? Like what was happening? Um, but I would say probably 
when I just look back, like I would obviously like to have more participants. I did have quite a small participant pool um, when it came because I only looked at one virtual school. I think there was um, 10 teachers at that virtual school and I only managed to get five of them. I mean, I got a lot of data from the five, but of course, the more participants you have, then then maybe the different schools that you could have, it could definitely um, broaden um, what online PE is, help to generalize it maybe a little bit more and, and explore some more practices that maybe were happening. So yeah, I'd say that recruitment side of things, probably I would spend a lot more time on. Yeah. So now that you, you know, you're done, are you doing things to disseminate your findings or publish, present, or is it impacting your career in other ways? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I haven't, I'm working on the manuscript, um, to hopefully be able to publish it. Um, I will be, um, presenting it as a poster at the shape, um, convention in, in 2024. Um, so I am working on it in that regards. Uh, obviously the job that I do now, um, is very teaching focused and I don't have any research, um, requirements from me. So I, it is sometimes difficult to go back to the dissertation and research when I feel like, you know, I'm in a different, um, path now, but what I will say is it has really impacted, um, how I teach, like some of the findings that I found, um, I've been using some of those, um, in my own classrooms, whether it's those small activities to help build connections, um, with my students, um, or different communication tools. And, you know, I learn a lot of different technology tools, um, that they use in, in the online, um, setting. So. Yeah, I would say it has actually helped me in that regard. And then also, I think just the process in general of going through a dissertation, obviously at UGA, we have a lot of graduate students who are going through that process now. Um, and I feel like I do have um, hopefully some good words of advice for them if they're ever struggling or, and it's like I can become a little bit of a mentor to help them through that process and tell them that, hey, this can take longer than you think. Um, so, you know, don't think that it's going to go like perfectly how you have it planned. Um, so I would say like in what it has helped, like, you know, I, I keep up to date with research. Um, I listen to podcasts. I still read the literature. I'm very much like to know what evidence-based teaching is out there, helping our HPE undergraduates, you know, be the best um, teacher candidates that they can be. It's obviously shown me the importance of research and how that can really um, enhance my practice as a teacher educator. Um, and then, yes, yeah, help me mentor students and stuff like that. I definitely want to continue the the research line. Um, and maybe, you know, if I ever have a different job where there's more research expectations, that's definitely, I would continue um, that line of inquiry because I do find it really interesting. And I don't think online education is going anywhere for right now. I think it's just going to continue to increase, if anything. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say uh, A-12 level, higher education, um, that's a clear trend. Um, so you mentioned you might want to stay connected to, to research if the opportunity presents itself and maybe you would stay connected to that topic of online education. Yeah. Um, did you feel like there was a future direction of research or kind of a future topic that would be important as a next step that you could follow up on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I definitely felt like there was um, more to learn when it came with the the pedagogical practices and, and what was done because I felt like, yes, I watched um, what happened 
but I didn't really grasp how they were trained in the first place. Like a lot of them were like, yeah, I did. Um, I was a regular PE teacher and then I transitioned over to online for several different reasons. But it was kind of like in that transition, like what, how did you learn to actually teach this way? Um, I think that would be like, how are online PE teachers trained? Um, Cause is that something we should be doing in our physical education, teacher education programs? Like, should we be preparing our undergraduates to be able to teach online um, in that regard? So kind of the training side of things. Um, but I would say ultimately this um, parental side and kind of a big role the parents do play in the learning and development of their child. Um, one of one of the quotes that I always remember from my dissertation is um, an online PE teacher saying like, yeah, we do teach them, but you know, the parent is the ultimate teacher when it comes to virtual schooling because they maybe see us once a week. Um, and then it's kind of on the parent to make sure that they're practicing those skills um, or helping them join a team or join a club. So it would be interesting to research the role parents play um, when it comes to online physical education, online learning, um, and how they help students develop um, maybe motor skill competency. Um, and yeah, and maybe something I haven't touched on too much is of course the assessment side of things. And cause that wasn't really seen too much um, in online PE. Um, so how are those assessments? Like what is being done for that? Because from the school that I um, researched, it was more kind of like online quizzes or assignments, like typed up stuff, but not really looking at, are they competent, right? Like, are they competent in throwing a ball or catching a ball? So the assessment side of things as well, I think is still an area that needs to be researched. Yeah. So like there's a lot of terrain for research yeah. in this space um, for you and, and other scholars to explore. Um, so... I'm thinking about students who are doing their dissertation now or maybe thinking about getting into grad school uh, and what that might look like for them. Uh, maybe someone struggling with their dissertation. Um, given your experience, uh, what advice might you offer someone who's out there thinking about the doctoral journey? Yeah, that's a really um, great question. Um, I think that, and this is what I would try and tell myself is that, and it sounds quite cliche, but a dissertation is a marathon and it, it definitely isn't a sprint. Like you're not going to come out the starting block straight away and just like know the answer to everything and be able to come up with a research question and the purpose statement and know what a literature review is and, you know, what is good literature, what isn't. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. And I always remind people that you are like an individual in training while you are doing your dissertation. Like sometimes we're learning as we go along, um, whether it's from our advisor or just from the experiences that we're getting. So we're not always going to know um, the answers or have the solutions sometimes. So I think it's really important to kind of going back to the marathon, but like pace yourself um, along the way. Like if you think about it during a marathon, what that's like 26 ish miles, you have water breaks, you might get cramp here or there. And it's kind of the same with a dissertation, like you're going to have some bumps in the road, um, some hiccups. And I think it's important that to understand that that is just part um, of the journey. I think some people put pressure on themselves that your dissertation has to be quite groundbreaking, like, oh, this is going to be the next big research topic that everybody does. But 
it doesn't necessarily have to be um, groundbreaking. You know, there's going to be, hopefully you go on and you get a job of whether you continue to research or not. That's where you really start to curate um, your research line and, you know, do more publications in, in what you're interested in. So I always like to view the dissertation as a project um, that, you know, has a series of tasks and sequence along the way rather than I think the term dissertation you're like goodness this is like a big massive paper like a big physical thing that I have to write 200 plus pages whatever it may be um, and that's a really tough hill to kind of climb if you look at it that way but if you look at it as small tasks that build on each other and more of like a project that's just going to help you um, along the way um, then I think that can sometimes just bring down your expectations and some of those struggles um, that you may sometimes feel along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good perspective and would definitely be helpful for people who are thinking about their next journey. And everyone is different. So that's why I like that question. Um, everyone has a slightly different experience and something unique to offer. Um, this has been a really nice conversation and I'm near the end of my questions, but are there other things you want to share before we finish today? Um, no, I would just say like I commend anybody who gets a, a dissertation. It's a it's a tough um, journey to do, and it's not for the the faint hearted. But it's such a rewarding experience by the end. And I always remember the day after I finished my um, defense and I left the room for my committee to chat, and then I came back in the room, and then obviously Dr. McCulloch is there with the handshake, like congratulations, Dr. Waller, like you've passed. So there's those moments at the end um, that just make it all worth it. So just stick with it. And um, yeah, it's very rewarding. Yeah. I remember that part of it as well. Yeah. Um, Dr. Waller, thank you for joining me on the dissertation. Thank you so much. It's great to um, share my experience. I really appreciate the opportunity.